This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this edition of Property Gem. Are we an edition or an episode? I think we're an episode, aren't we? Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And today we're back, just the three of us. Um, We have, who who are we? Should we introduce ourselves? Yeah, in case all of our property jammers have forgotten. And also new listeners might not know. So, yeah, Uh, well, we'll go around in the appropriate order um, that we say goodbye in. So who are you? I'm Matt. I'm Joe, and I'm Niall. Well, and today one. we're going to be talking about <laughs> something which is a particular gripe for Joe at the moment. Um, but we've actually all encountered stories uh, of, of this nature, um, and it's to do with vendors and buying properties from people who are selling. And uh, when you buy from someone who's selling, it could be um, an investor who's got more loads of properties, but more than likely, it's from uh, a homeowner who is selling it and they don't sell properties very often um so that can be quite challenging um to work with people who think that things are either going to take forever um they don't know how to do it uh, they want things to happen tomorrow um so yeah joe why don't you start us off with your current vendor story <laughs> my gory vendor story it's not gory but... gory vendor story yeah <laughs> yeah so uh property uh, up in Grimsby um it's oh it's fantastic it's just got so much potential it could be so many things so I'm absolutely adamant that I want to get it across the line um and I put the, the offer got accepted around the end of August so we're now that was 2021 we're now in January 2022 And um, the reason it's taken so long has been so multifaceted. First and foremost, the vendor was super relaxed. She so she's a residential seller. She's relocating to Scotland, but she kept saying, I'm in no rush. I've got no, you know, we can go as fast or slow. And it's like, fine. Um, And then there was some issues legally on her side because something had been recorded incorrectly with land registry. So that needed to be corrected, which took time. Then we've had COVID in the background, which has slowed everything down from, you know, the lending perspective. Our solicitors have just been generally quite slow on both sides. And then I had some stuff going on in the background as well, which meant my full attention did not go on to the purchase because I was literally having to fight fight other things. So my eye fell off the ball a little bit, but because she was in no rush, it was like, mm, cause originally this was gonna be a cash buy because she was taking a sweet old time it then became a mortgage purchase and so that obviously slowed things down we get to December or it was at the end of November she's absolutely shit the brick she starts kicking off and she's like I have turned I'm I'm relocating to Scotland I you know have I can't accept this job offer that I've been given um, until I know this sale is definitely going through So we did all the right things from our side. The lender provided reassurance. You know, the decision in principle is in place. The the valuation was scheduled. Our solicitors wrote and said, everything's now, you know, in hand. We expect to, you know, exchange and complete in the new year. Um, You know, everything's okay. 
And so despite, and then I wrote an email as well, offering reassurance that everything was going ahead, that there had been extenuating circumstances, but now everything was on track. And that seemed to do the trick. And then at the start of uh, December, she gave formal notice to the estate agent to end the contract that she had with them because she decided she was gonna put it with somebody else. Now, by this point, we are this close. Like we are just, you know, and for listeners, I'm literally doing a tiny little finger pinch sign. We are this close to exchange and completion. But today, which uh, the day of the recording this is the 6th of January, which is when the contract is um, ending with the estate agents. And we're literally about a week away from exchange and completion. So now I find myself in a position where I can't contact her directly because I do not have her contact details for obvious reasons. Um, I don't know if she's physically in the property, uh, which is, you know, five hours up the road from my home. It's not like I could just turn up on a doorstep. My understanding is she's accepted the job in Scotland and relocated and renting somewhere up there. Um, and yeah, her sisters are a bit grumbly. So effectively, I'm now in limbo. And I don't know what to do other than just keep providing reassurance, keep providing updates to the estate agent. Keep, we're this close, we're this close, we're this close. And just, you know, keep on the backs of my mortgage broker and my solicitor. I actually don't know what else I can do. But what's going to annoy me is the alternative is that she's going to go with a different estate agent. She's pressed the reset button. So I'm literally a week away from being able to transact this and she's going to go with somebody else. And I've... And stuff of bugs, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't the smartest course of action, I don't think, given where we were in the process. Well, if she so, wants a quick turnaround, uh, changing estate agent is is irrelevant, really, because if you're re ready to exchange and complete, regardless of who she's with, you can still carry on and do that. If she wants a quick sale, she wants it done soon. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I don't know who she's going to put it on with, and that and the, and the current estate agent isn't going to tell me, and I've got no way of contacting her. So the only way I could do that is through her solicitors. That's the only way I could do it. Um, I just, do you know what I mean? For me, I, I think her anxiety has got the better of her common sense. And there's no way you can reason with that. I mean, you, then you can get into the realms of stupidity where you start offering to pay, you know, legal fees on her side just to keep her sweet. And it's like, well, no, just it's going through. And you suddenly made it urgent for your own personal reasons which was unexpected so she's obviously one of those people who just you know she's quite impulsive and so an impulsive vendor is very difficult to manage you feel helpless because you that obviously the estate agent works for them they don't work for you but they are trying their best to manage messages so I don't know I'm in a rock and a hard place I my feeling my gut feeling is we had a little bit of a chat about this before we started recording and I think it does come down to intention I'm adamant it's going to go across the line, regardless of which estate agent it's through. But it's just the frustration of finding yourself between a rock and a hard place or, you know, purchase limbo, I think, is, is what I'm feeling frustrated about. And the fact that I cannot, you know, directly contact her to appease her anxiety, because I just don't think the estate agent is doing a very good job. You know, he's he's not quite landing the message or offering the right reassurance. So and I just feel like if I could just speak to her woman's a woman, I'd be like, babe, we're this close. The alternative situation is you press reset and go with someone else. Um, and we're like, just just hang on. Like, I'm solid. Like, stop worrying. But I, can't. I think it's I think it's probably better that you don't have a connection with her. Yeah, I think it, that's better because you'll end up. You, it would it, it's an emotional process anyway, but it could 
it's going to make that much more heightened if you're in direct contact with her. Yeah. Because she'll be putting her stresses onto you, which you don't need. No, especially not at the moment because it's been quite a stressful time, as you know. But like, I just, you feel helpless. I think that's what it is. You know, you really do because you you are trying to almost put words in the mouth of the estate agent. Like, this is the message I want to be communicated. But then they're communicating that and you're like, did you though? Like, is that kind of, did you say the right things? Like, so I don't know. I think, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think it will go across the line. I'll keep you posted, but it's... Um, one thing you yeah. could try is sending a letter to the house that might get redirected. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, true, I never thought about that. Yeah, but again, I mean, you're crossing a boundary there. Because I swear I to God, so. Matt, I put I in an email. I don't think so. You're just ex you're putting it in your words, and it's not getting done. And was your email like forwarded to the vendor? Yeah. So that's the thing. I basically composed this email. Uh, this would have this was before she put in notice to end the contract. I put in an email, and it was you know it wasn't over the top, but it was very factual, but also very reassuring from a human perspective. You know, yeah. both sides, unforeseen circumstances, but we're so close now. I'm certain this will get across the line in the new year. Um, in the meantime, have a lovely Christmas, blah, 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 this and that. Um, yeah, and then she handed in notice. So I think, like I say, anxiety clearly got the best of her as opposed to common sense. I think she's just frustrated. And obviously think about it from her perspective. She's changing her life. She's moving from mm -hmm. Grimsby up to Scotland. So that's where her head's at. She's, she just wants it sold, but she's now put herself in a really difficult position because she's basically cut off her own nose spite her face because she's anxious. And I but can't do anything about it. Is she like, actually... Is she what? Carry on, carry on playing, playing devil's advocate is, um, maybe she just handed in notice to give herself the option to go with another agent. And actually she's still thinking it's, gonna, it's going ahead. Yeah, I, I was literally going to say the same oh. thing. <laughs> well it's like we're like twins or something it's like it's like we know each other we work together like 24 7 yeah <laughs> they're in sync boys you know what's interesting is the estate agent's not worried his thing was like as long as you exchange and uh, as long as you exchange today that's enough because the contract's been exchanged and I was like yeah but that's unlikely to happen in like three days on the return from Christmas you know given that the mortgage offer isn't out yet and do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we need a two week window. And he was like, even then I think it's okay. I'm like, on oh, based on what? Cause the contract's finished. So like, you can't, if your contract is dead, how can you, how does that work? Actually, I don't know this. If you've ended your contract with your estate agent, but then they still get the sale across the line, what happens to their commission? Yeah, Not because I, I guess they've introduced you to the vendor. So it, you, they'll still get their commission from right, the sale right. because you're their client or whatever. And the introduction happened within the contract. So basically they're saying they don't want any more introductions from this estate agent and they want the option to go with another agent to get introductions. So if yours falls through, then they're going to put it on with someone else, I think is probably where her head's at. Yeah. To be fair then, if that's the case, what that gives me reassurance is then I've got pretty much the first two weeks of January to get it across the line because how... I would be, I would eat my left foot. Why my left foot? I don't know. But I would eat my left foot if someone can transact within two weeks at this time of year with a pandemic, right? I think buy him. You're talking four weeks, I'd say, a minimum for someone to be able to buy it. So as long as you can get yeah. it through in January. Um, and also, um, has she put it on with her agent? Uh, all you need to do is go on Rightmove or Zoopla and see whether it pops up know. again. Yeah, and, if, totally. and if it does, then you know you've got 
some time um but you know you know that the clock is now ticking but you when it goes online you probably then need to think about exchanging um otherwise um they might get other offers and if they get other offers then um but you can also go and speak to the other agent the new agent and just say yeah we've got a sale going through why are they selling it with you, <laughs> you, know, you yeah could, you could just go and tell them yeah we're about to exchange on this um yeah yeah so. How it's long has it taken to get to this point? How many months are you processing? So it was the end of August. So we're at yeah, five, five months. Which I mean, to be fair. That's not that's not that unusual. No, it's not. And especially with a residential Almost. seller, you know, it's not, it's not crazy, but it, it and honestly, there are just, you know, there's so many moving parts where there's so many people who are just kind of like way too relaxed, <laughs> you know, and that's and all of a sudden she's introduced urgency and the whole thing's just got a little bit fraught. <laughs> it's like, ah. so. Yeah, it's just been a bit annoying, really. But I don't know. Like, I, my feeling is it's all going to be fine because of where we are in the process now. She's just yes. managing her. So she's, and the story behind her is, so I thought when I first was buying this house, and you remember I mentioned it on a previous episode, that she was a lady of the night. So that was, that was what the estate agent assumed she was. Because he said to me, oh, she works really funny hours, right? And so I was like, my builder was like, oh, she's a hooker. And I was like, no, she's not a hooker. He's like, no, she is. And then like she turned up and her name was Tatiana. And we were like, oh. And then all these awful prejudgments came in. And she really, and she did, she had the lips and the boobs and the nails and, the, and, and then she had like lots of cats. And we were like, I don't know why that's, a, I don't go down the pussy route. I don't mean to, but that's just kind of where I'm going. And I'm like, oh my God. And like, we were walking around this house and like my bill Ian was saying to me this is my builder he was like she's definitely a hooker like she's definitely a hooker and I was like she's not a hooker stop saying it but then we concluded that she was and it turns out she's not she's an undertaker's assistant a what an undertaker's assistant so she works in the night sort of st stuffing bodies full of like pumping them full of formaldehyde so that's what she's doing yeah so she's a lady of the night but just with dead bodies and there's no sex involved so yeah that's and so when he meant she works weird hours that's what he meant so I can only imagine if you're breathing in those fumes and you're working those hours that you probably are a bit mental right so just putting it out there so there's a little bit of a vendor story there she's quite and she's an interesting character and I did meet her and what was really really weird was when I went up there <laughs> the house absolutely stank of cat wee and there was just it was quite honestly unbelievable and in every room that you went into there was um a cat cage or a cat basket and a cat toy and th this is a huge house so you know it, it had it's, it's four bedrooms and in every single room a cat has got a room and some there were signs on the door saying this cat is very aggressive enter with caution so we'd be going in and this cat would sort of be carrying the corner and hissing and yelling. And then there would be others who were just, you know, in cages, just looking at you like, save me. And then there were other ones that were kind of curled up in baskets, just ignoring you. And each door had a sign telling you what the temperament of the cat was. Um, and the whole house stank. I mean, it's just a, a, an investor's wet dream. It's perfect. But then she was waiting in the car outside when I came out of my builder and I went over to her. I said, oh, are you the vendor? She went, yeah. I said, oh, I'm Joe. She said, I'm Tatiana. Judgment, judgment, judgment. And then she's like, oh, and she had a cat in the car with her and the cat leant out the window and it's one of those hairless cats. You know, the ones that are- oh, they're ugly as hell. Honestly, this cat was next level amazing. It's like a dog. It was, it's a Sphinx cat and Sphinx cats are, are very intelligent. So this cat was hanging out the window on a lead 
and it was like looking around and it was kind of like, you know, trying to shake my hand. And, you know, I was talking to it and I swear it understood me. Its name was Audrey, which also gave it a lot of gold points for me because I'm like, what a great name for a cat. So then we were talking about cats and we kind of connected on cats. And I was like, interesting. And then I wanted to ask her if she was a hookup. Obviously I couldn't because that's like what that got to do with me. But I was trying to get at what job she did and she was very guarded and very closed off, but she really wanted to talk about cats. So, yeah, so she's met me, but obviously you know you meet lots of people it doesn't mean a sale's going to go through but she's uh she's definitely unusual uh, <laughs> so just, just to clarify uh, apologies to any of our listeners called tatiana um, and anyone who's got uh, nails boobs and everything else which uh, i do so i'm kind of insulting myself well, I, th- um, I thought you were, i thought you were describing yourself for a moment that's the thing i mean you know <laughs> okay, cats nails boobs and the rest pretty much me I mean maybe she's a kindred spirit and that's really why I sort of yeah. <laughs> felt a connection well, shall, we, shall, we, shall we move on to some other vendor stories yes please my one's got weird it, it has gone <laughs> kind of down down a, a yeah I'm trying to think of the undertaker's sink it's gone down the it's undertaker. A rabbit hole it's gone down a, a cat hole so cat yeah hole, there we go. I'm yeah. on the cat flap yeah. <laughs> very good <laughs> yeah so um so, Niall, what's been your most memorable vendor story? Not necessarily the, like the weirdest, but well, it could be a good one. Um, I think I think one of the one of the ones that sticks in my mind was actually a decent. It was a good vendor story um, where we built a rapport and got to know the vendor um, by them showing us around the property before we bought it. Um, so we had connection with them. And this is why I was saying, Joe, that it might not necessarily be a good thing to have that connection because it can be a pain in the ass. Once they've got your contact details, they won't stop pestering you until the sale goes through, whether it's your fault or not. Um, this guy was, was quite nice. He, he uh, was selling the property that had previously belonged to his mother who had passed away. So he wasn't necessarily looking for the best price. He wanted to sell it to the person that he had the best connection with. Um, so we had it on with an agent similar to Purple Bricks. I don't, I don't think it was Purple Bricks, but they basically just do the advertising and he does the viewings and meets all the potential vent or the potential purchasers. Um, so yeah, it was quite a, a good process, um, quite straightforward. We got the price for a bit cheaper than what we would have done if it were on the normal market or through an agent. Um, he did um, give us all the information about the background of the property, why he was selling. He knew everything about it, knew all the neighbors. Um, and had a, it was a, an emotional sale for him to sell it to the right people. Um, so that was a very nice way of transacting a property deal. But he did bug you a lot. He did bug me a lot. However, he did tell the neighbours about us buying the property and we also bought theirs too. So the I personal connection, because he knew the neighbours, was talking to them and then introduced us and eventually we bought their house as well. Yeah. So that was a positive one. Yeah, it's quite nice, actually, when you do have that personal connection with the vendor. I always think it's really important, you know, if you do get to meet them, you really kind of get where they're coming from. You know, if you if you make that connection, but you really understand what, you know, number one, what the time scale is and what their predicament is and what their circumstances is. Matt, didn't you have one where you um, you literally saved somebody from repo, like repossession? Didn't you have one like that? um it were it was a property that was sourced on so we didn't buy one um we had a letter campaign and and it led to someone who needed help and we passed it on to um, a colleague of ours who sources the mine 
um, to, to, to deal with. That was a long time ago as well, yeah. four, five years ago. Mm. Yeah. Um, but actually thinking about it, so some random ones. Um, we had a guy who we met at a networking event who said his son was selling a property in, um, this, was, this was up in Burnley. Um, actually, you know, it wasn't his son. He said he, he had just bought the property from his son. I think he was trying to save his son from some kind of financial difficulty. And they bought it from the son and then were selling it on. Okay. And they needed a quick transaction because they didn't want to be in it for long. They just wanted to get their money back. Um, so we bought a property for £36,000 um, in cash and transacted it within. It's quite quick, wasn't it? Probably about, it's probably, yeah, it was quite a very quick process. Yeah. About eight weeks in the end, um, partly because the vendors who we knew, I would say they were we weren't friends, but we were friendly with them. They were positive investors and I've, I've conversed with them since um and but they were on holiday um got still got a little bit tetchy at times um but they were on holiday for times our solicitor was uh, yeah was busy so um didn't deal with it as quickly as you could have done we probably could have shaved maybe a week off um but to be fair it was relatively straightforward uh, it was leasehold wasn't it that one mm. so yeah. that's why it was a bit, little bit um less straightforward than um if it would have been freehold so um yeah so that, that, that was good. It was positive in the end. And it's a nice little house. Um, it's now worth about, about 60K, I think. Oh, that's nice. Um, and we managed to get a grant from the council for all the works. Not a grant, sorry, a loan, a 10-year interest-free loan, oh, which the council forgot about for two years. And we had to chase that. We were like, why aren't we paying this loan off? So we so we chased the council. They said, oh, no, we forgot to set up direct debit. It's like, we gave you the information. Why didn't you do it? It's like, oh, can we start now? It's like, okay, so we can have it for 12 years, two years interest-free, and then 10 years... Actually, it's 12 years interest-free, yeah. So it's, it's 12 years interest-free, but you, you weren't servicing any form of payments, repayments on it at all. So Not like, for the first two years. No. <laughs> That's hilarious. And their, their response after the second year was like, oh, yeah, here are the details to start the repayment. Like, nothing had happened. So it was like, don't worry, it's absolutely fine. Do you know, some councils don't actually want you to have any repayments. They just literally expect all the money back at the end. But that tends to be with the, the loans that are shorter term. So between three and five years, a 10 year one, like, yeah, I think repayments or clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. Well, not important. Like £167 a month or something like that. Oh, that's hilarious. I think, I think we, we got confused because it goes to the council. And I think at one point we thought it was the council tax. So we thought, um, well, sorry, we, we thought the council tax was the loan repayment. Um, <laughs> It's kind of the same place. I think I thought the council tax was being paid, and Niall thought the loan was being paid. <laughs> so Niall's fretting, going, "Why aren't we paying council tax on this property?" And I'm going, well, "Why aren't we paying this loan?" And this was well before we had a financial financial manager. Oh, so funny! <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so and I, I asked Niall, and he was like, "Yes, we're definitely paying it." This like, I know it's the council tax. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is an absolute madness. Oh well, it shows you how observant we are. <laughs> also how honest you are because honestly you could have left that i mean you really could have done um but yeah, yeah well, I, prefer, I prefer to get it paid yeah you get it paid down because it's um yeah it's a loan on the books yeah, yeah. The more you get off the books the better um of, of, the, of i suppose not that type because they're no interest on them and it's a non-current liability so it doesn't really affect things too much so it's quite good um and then there was another one as well which was a property that we bought uh two and a half years ago three years ago now I, i've lost perception of time in warrington mm. and um one of our team drove past the property and gave it and it rang me and said oh this house opposite one you just done is for sale and um, would you like me to go and look at it for you and i said oh yeah go go for it so we did um and he got chatting to the the owner 
and I absolutely no idea how it came up, but he somehow found out that this guy, that the, the vendor knew my mum. What? Um, and I think it's because, because um, it was our project manager, and he said he'd worked on the one over the road, and the vendor said, oh yeah, I know the guys that own the one over the road, because my mum was a vicar, amongst other things, she does all sorts of things, um, doctor, vicar, whatever. So... <laughs> <laughs> retired now richer baker candlestick maker she's the whole thing yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. um with the nhs so she's a vicar for um like warrington west and this guy was uh the the vicar for warrington east so like the head person he looks after the the church <laughs> so they knew each other quite well um so um i rang my mom and i said do you think you could put in a good word for us we're going to put in an offer we're going to put in a fair offer um and we put in an offer over asking um just um i think it was 181562 in the end mm -hmm. i think i love an offer like that <laughs> random number um and um it was accepted straight away um because then yeah, mum did this intro and uh, i was speaking directly to the vendor i think most of the time if you're speaking directly to the vendor it's a positive thing because you can understand them and you can placate them um and um but yeah that that particular one went our way and again we were the sale was pretty straightforward on that one again, wasn't it? it? Wasn't very cool. straightforward sale with that one. Yeah, one yeah, of the most straightforward we've done. Yeah, it wasn't that delayed at all. Um, so he was quite happy um, and he just went through. It probably took about 12 weeks, that one. Yeah, and that was in the time before COVID though and before restrictions and lockdowns and yeah. banks yeah. being silly and vendors being weird. And, uh, you know. <laughs> weird. That was property that, that completed, it's, uh, that, that was finished in the, like, the February of, or the January of lockdown. I mean, so, in the March of lockdown, it literally, well, yeah. the, the builders yeah. signed it off like the week before we went into lockdown. And then we had to try and tenant it. <laughs> Then we had to try and oh tenant it God, and, right. and furnish it and everything with no deliveries happening and tenants not able to move. <laughs> Yay! That was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's another vendor story. Um, what else we got? Um, I've got one. I think I've told this on the podcast before, but it was like right at the start when we first launched. And I think just as you're saying, Matt, you can really if you have that connection with the vendor then there's a good chance it will go through if if the numbers stack and you have you know the right if you're able to help them out and they can help you but it's also a red flag um conversation because if you're this is where your gut instinct kicks in if they're saying things and you're i don't know you're getting that sense that something's not quite adding up that, that there's could be a risk here that this isn't a safe purchase at all so um there was this one vendor actually this is on a house uh, on the same road that i'm purchasing on at the moment because i've been adamant since i started investing in grimsby that i would own a house on this particular road so uh but this was sort of like middle of the road so it wasn't wasn't quite ideal because one end of the road's awful terrible housing stock and yeah just not on strategy and the other end of the road is like completely different large housing stock everything that I like add capital value high income the middle of the road somewhere in between so this is this is right in the middle and um spoke to the vendor he was in and I just sort of said oh you know what's what's the reason behind selling and he was said oh um I'm going through a really painful divorce and um you know, this house has just got so many painful memories and, you know, she did me over and, you know, as you can imagine, and I need the money. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, but he just didn't 
you know when you talk to somebody and they don't seem like they're telling the whole truth he almost was putting on an act he felt very insincere and you know me I've got a very good bullshit radar so I was sort of trying to get under the skin of what was like going on and he was only giving me surface level chat and I was like okay and the, the estate agent was a little bit sort of uncomfortable around him as well like I could sort of see he didn't really want to engage and was kind of trying to hurry up the viewing so that I didn't ask any more questions to the vendor, which I thought was a bit strange as well. And then put in an offer shortly after the viewing, it got accepted straight away. I was like, brilliant. Then I phoned my builder and I was like, can you go around and quote up on the works? He's like, sure. So he turns up now, I was still working full time um, at the, the time of purchase and I was sat in this conference and I was about 50 people at like sort of I was in the middle of a row like a huge conference there's sort of a few people either side of me and my phone is going off and it's my builder and he's sort of like sending me messages like can you pick up this is really urgent and I was like what was, he's like I need to send you a picture I was like cool I was like I can't get out just tell me what's going on and he said are you sure it's this number I was like yes it's definitely this street number and he said okay uh, get ready for what I'm about to show you and then sent me a picture of the outside of the house and the front door had been completely smashed in. There was fire marks, burn marks all up the front of the porchway and all of the contents from inside the house was now outside the house in the front yard. So Ian being Ian, um, just this nosy parker, started knocking on all the neighbors doors to see if they knew what had gone on. And one neighbor said, oh, it's him. It's him, he's always doing this. He's like, oh, what, he's been, he's been burgled, like, he's, or he's, you know, whatever, someone's, like, the wife, whatever. He's like, no, no, he got absolutely off his face because he has an alcohol dependency and he set fire to his own house um, and took all the contents and threw it out um, and there were windows smashed as well. He'd actually thrown windows, through, um, uh, items of furniture, chairs through the front windows into the, into the front yard. So... Needless to say, that made it a really difficult thing to do because then what's where do you go from there? Do you proceed with the purchase at a far reduced price and go down that route to help him out? Or do you back away from the purchase because he's unstable? Um, in the end, he took it off the market and it got boarded up and the council had to get involved. Um, so I, I didn't go ahead with that purchase anyway. Because um, it would have been very difficult to reason with somebody who had actually been deemed unstable. So, um, but the point of that story is my gut instinct told me something was up anyway. Like I just had this feeling when I was talking to him, it's very evasive and it was almost too good to be true. There was a, it, it's a bullshit thing, isn't it? And maybe it's a woman's intuition thing. I don't know. But the, it was the estate agent's body language. It was everything. Just didn't feel right. And then when that happened, I was like, okay. So that's what that was, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's another exciting little vendor story. Quite a sad one as well. Um, yeah, it was pretty awful. Felt sorry for the guy. So I don't know what happened to the house. I've not seen it since. Um, yeah. Interesting. Mm. I think in the main, I don't think we've, uh, I don't have that many like really negative stories about dealing with vendors it's all pretty much yes it may have taken a, quite a long time to go through and generally you will have a threat on month five or month six if nothing's happening or it's not moving quick enough that they're going to put it back in the market and they're going to sell it to somebody else 
but you know they're not going to sell it to anybody else any quicker anyway. Um, that's the only thing that comes up in the main is just is that threat. If you don't buy it today, we're going to put it back on the market. Yeah, but then having been a vendor myself, I completely understand it. Like I, I do, I do get why people come to that conclusion. I was selling a, a property. Um, <laughs> several months back it's the first time I've ever sold anything and um two things that are I don't think I had really appreciated it is so annoying selling somewhere because people are walking in and out and I actually lived there so um they were yeah traipsing in and out of my flat continuously and you know that's so invasive having somebody in your home like I I don't think I ever really appreciated it where you're sat I would normally be in in the main because it was during COVID. So I'd be sat there and people are just, it's like a museum, Like you're sat in your house and it's like a museum and it's so bizarre. And they're asking questions. And if you're not in the mood to engage with them, but you are still motivated to sell because you want to, it's on the market. Yeah, it's quite a tricky old thing. And COVID made it even weirder because, you know, people walking around with masks on. So it felt like, you know, you had sort of lab technicians in your house. It was just so freaking weird. Um, and then you had flaky buyers. You could just tell yeah. them flaky. So I'd be saying to my estate agent, now them two ain't serious. I can tell you that for nothing. They got relationship problems. I can see it because they was arguing about X, Y, and Z in the garden. That's not, I'm not be selling to them. Or they were like, also, I was thinking about my neighbors upstairs because I got on with them really well. These, if you remember, I can't remember which episode it was. These were, they came on the podcast. Do you remember Katrina and Reed who did the loft conversion and mm-hmm. damaged my house? But they, Almost I was, I was, <laughs> yeah they were they were dodgy purchases um yeah no I was thinking about you know for the first time I was making emotional decisions about who I wanted to sell it to so that they had good neighbors I didn't want to just yeah they had this really quiet couple come around and look at it and I was just like I don't buy my flat they're not the right demographic for this for this street this street's starting to you know kick off I'm like nah you bring you bring the vibe down people so that's, that's funny you should mention that because we've I've been on viewings before and when the vendor finds out that we're investors not home buyers then they're like oh, I don't want to sell to you because you're an investor yeah. and in my head I'm always thinking well you're leaving and if we're paying the most for this house then what difference does it make to you because you're not going to be here anyway yeah and a lot of that is because they're selling their family home therefore they want to sell it to the right person because they've invested so much emotion into that space they want to continue that legacy of passing it on to the right people. So that I, I can completely understand that. Mine was much more about, oh my God, my neighbours need to have good bands, you know, with people below them. Because honestly, you, when you're in London, you're living in, a, you know, sort of flats that are in terrace housing, you really are in each other's life. So um, yeah, there was that element of it. But there's also, so I remember walking, and I, I think we told this story recently, I was um, looking to buy a house in Lincoln, I was going to turn it into a student HMO and truth be told, I could have done because it would have passed saturation test because of where it was. It was mostly sort of families and not HMOs, basically. Um, and it was just ideally placed. It was it was great. But I was looking and in each the neighboring gardens, there were like playgrounds and there were kids. It was all family. And I was like, I cannot put in all integrity a student HMO here. And so when they were asking me, you know, like, what you know are you are you planning on moving to Lincoln I was like no this would be a rental property but I couldn't bring it could bring myself to tell them that it was going to be a student HMO because they just wouldn't have sold it to me but my decision in the end 
was that this would have been unfair on the students as well as the surrounding families. Because if you're a student, you want to have the best free experience, you know, to have your music playing loud till stupid o'clock and to live your best young life as you're supposed to be doing at that age. And if you've constantly got neighbours shushing you, you know, because they've got their own family commitments, you have an ethical responsibility to assess that vendor and make sure, and that, and that an environment to make sure you're, it's going to be well, well placed. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But I think you get the measure of a place quite quickly from a vendor. I think the thing I always say to, to students is trust your instincts and, and don't get caught up in the moment of thinking about what the house could be and all the potential from a project perspective when you're ignoring red flags from what the vendor, the clues the vendor's giving you or the surrounding area, you know, open up your eyes and take, almost put the emotion into it as opposed to take it out of it. Well, take the take the bigger picture. Take the bigger picture. You, know, you need to look at something on, on the, the macro scale, micro scale. So yeah. yes, that house might work, but is it the right house in the right place? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, yeah, for sure. Um, just trying to think of any other vendors who've, um, uh, but I suppose there'd be stories of around properties that didn't happen. But do you know what? I can't remember most of them. What about your cannabis factory one? Because, I mean, you basically bought a house in a lift. I mean, really? I did, yes. So uh, we talked about this um, early on in the podcast. Um, I can't remember what episode. Um, but, yeah, I, um, that was good because I bought the property before the auction and after the auction. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it failed to sell in one auction. And then uh, I noticed it being put back in the auction and then I went and viewed it and um the reason why it was interesting because I was at the initial auction trying to buy something else um I tried to buy another one of those 36k houses um up in Burnley and then uh, they sold for way over in fact I, was trying, I think I was trying to buy them for 25k um <laughs> and they sold for like 40k and they were wrecks I was like I can't yeah um with house prices as they are now in Burnley I probably would have paid that yeah <laughs> Because they're, they're appreciating nicely, um, on on the whole. I can't remember what streets these are on, but uh, on the whole, yeah, there then, are still uh, some streets where the properties are still only worth twenty five thousand pounds. Yeah, yeah, totally. Same in Grimsby. Yeah. Like honestly, Rutland Street all day long ain't never going to grow. Like oh, it's going to depreciate if anything. That's why, that's why I caveated that. I caveated it. Most um, areas, the areas that we've got houses have have appreciated because we've chosen yeah. the right areas. Yeah, for the right reasons, of course. Um, so where was I going? Yeah, so I actually met the vendor in the lift when I was leaving the auction, um, I didn't know it was the vendor of this particular property and it was one that hadn't sold. I was interested because it was in, in my patch in, in Warrington. Um, but, uh, you know, I had assumed it would go um, after the auction because it didn't sell on, uh, in the room. So I assumed some deal would be done um, by the guys that were there. And I wasn't prepped. I hadn't seen it. Um, I didn't know anything about it. But then I got into the left and these guys came in behind me. I got chatting to them and they said they were there to sell something that hadn't sold. And I just, they just inquisitively asked well what was it and happened to be this house in warrington and so i was like oh okay that's interesting um what kind of price would have done it for you and managed to get to the fact that 87k would have done it um so i was like okay all right, i'm gonna go away and see whether it works 87k and i did got a build around managed to persuade the auction house to let us in before the um viewing started for the preview for the for the upcoming auction um and then we offered um got the deal done within a couple of days um obviously exchanged um because it was auction conditions and then completed um with a bridge four weeks later nice uh, that's so cool i love that story it's like one of my favorites 
Yeah, that house, yeah, bought for 87. Last time it was valued, it was valued at 220. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good one. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's funny, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I think that those, those are the most interesting ones. Um, I'm sure I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear some of the listeners' stories of, um, of houses or, or vendors that you've had maybe issues with or you know, successes with that, um, that I'm, sure, I'm sure there's plenty more than we talked about today. And more obscene. Yeah, exactly. So please do um, send us in, um, send us a quick email, um, propertyjampodcast.outlook.com um, with your story and we'll read it out um, in an upcoming episode for sure. So yeah. do share with us um, any interesting vendor stories that you've had. I think that probably wraps us up for today. Unless you guys got anything else you want to add? No, I've got loads more actually vendor stories. But to be fair, I've probably spoken about most of them on the podcast. So listeners, go back and listen to previous episodes. That's a little incentive for you. <laughs> yeah, and if you're unsure where to start, do your own episode roulette. Uh, you'll Anyone who listens to us regularly will know episode roulette. You just scroll through previous episodes and just pick one and see what happens. Yeah, can I maybe suggest to skip the Christmas one because if you if you um, if you like your hearing as it is and you would like to remember all the Christmas songs as they should be, then just ignore the Christmas ones. Excellent. No, I can't. I can't listen to that song anymore. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> in, in, in the same way, you know, it's um, I remember what, what, what it was now. Was the um, the, the Christmas tree? Oh, so I was rocking around. The property gonna be an HMO. Getting a detrimental feeling. That's the. Uh, that was it. Oh yeah. god! Yeah. Every time that came on over the Christmas period after we recorded it, I was like, "Skip!" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Love anyway, it. Love on it. that note, uh, anyone doesn't know what we're talking about. Do go listen to the Christmas episode. Uh, it is good fun. It's only about five minutes of your life um, where you can go and um, have have some fun listening to our rendition of of Christmas songs. And there's three now. That was our third Christmas episode. So. Uh, um, I, should, yeah, the first one didn't even have uh, any backing. It was a cappella. It was. Yeah, we it was were a, that good. 12, Twelve days of Christmas. Then it was Let It Snow, and then it was uh, rocking around the property. Yeah, I mean, we really are. <laughs> the talent is limitless with us. Yeah, we can give us any song. We'll ruin it for you. Please <laughs> send in your suggestions for Christmas 2022. Yeah, we're ready. Yeah, we're ready. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, uh, it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. That's a goodbye from me too. on social media where you can hear more and see more on facebook search property jam podcast or you can follow us on instagram at property jam podcast or you can email us at property jam podcast at outlook.com see, see you on, on the next, next episode, episode.